It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We all think Joe Milton was much better on Saturday, at least for part of the football game, but how much better? What does Pro Football Focus think of Joe Milton's performance? What about on defense? How many missed tackles? Who blew those coverages? We're going to dive into the weeds. Pro Football Focus Wednesday, right here on Locked On Balls. You are Locked On Balls, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, good Wednesday morning, everybody. Welcome to Locked On Balls. It is your team every single day. I'm your host, Eric Kane, and you can always find me on Twitter at underscore Kane or at Locked On Balls. This show is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more right now. New customers can get $5, uh, can put in, but can bet $5 to get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started today. Big shout out to FanDuel. All right, we got a fun show to get into. We're going to dive into a pro football focus offense, defensive notes, segments one and two. Ward Wednesday coming up, but as, as always, before we get started, want to give a quick shout out to those everydayers. Everydayers, shout out to you for making the show what it is okay so um pro football focus again take it with a grain of salt it is something it is not nothing for those of you guys watching on youtube the grading scale is at the bottom but for those listening the grading scale is as follows elite 90 to 99 very good 80 to 89 above average starter 70 to 79 average starter 60 to 69 below average starter 50 to 59 and less than 50 is considered a backup level player uh, again i don't take a whole lot of stock into the overall grade because you know do you know the individual responsibility for that said play, for that said assignment, whatever the case may be? I like to look at snap counts and all this nitty-gritty stuff that we're going to get into. But a couple of the notables as we're starting here on offense. Uh, quarterback Joe Milton, he led the way with the highest grade, 74.3. And, of course, that's considered an above-average starter. I would say that's about right because he played really, really well in the first half. He didn't play as well in the second half, obviously. And... Um, you know, needed to play a little bit better to win that football game, but obviously everyone else did. But I think that's about right. Uh, 74.3 was was Joe Milton's grade. Um, he had the highest of Tennessee's offensive players. Squirrel White came in behind him at 73%. Um, Ollie Lane actually had the highest offensive line grade, the third highest grade on the offensive or on the on offense overall at 71.5. I'll go through and look at these offensive line numbers real quick. John Despragan, 67.6. Gerald Mincy on 53 snaps before going out with injury, 65.1. Cooper May, 62. See here, John Campbell, 60.1. And yeah, that's the entire offensive line. So um, from a grading perspective, wasn't horrible for the offense. But uh, again, we got to look into more of those specifics. Uh, Joe Milton obviously played every single snap of Tennessee's football game, 81 snaps. Curl White played 73. Ollie Lane, Javonta Spragans, Cooper Mays, John Campbell all played 81. Gerald Mincy played 53 snaps before going out with injury. Then Dane Davis came in and played the final 28 offensive snaps. And Dane Davis finished with a grade of 52.2. But let's go ahead and look into um, more of the nitty-gritty here uh, for the University of Tennessee offensively for uh, that loss over at um, Alabama. Of course, it was a, a game where Tennessee started off really, really hot. Came out of the gates, firing on all cylinders, and uh, did a really good job taking control of the football game and uh, you know taking the attack. It's one of the one of the mantras for you know Tennessee. 
know, take the attack to them and set the tone of the football game. And Tennessee did a good job in that regard. You look at Joe Milton, um, much better day throwing the football down the field. Overall, he was two for five at 20 yards or more down the field. Uh, that is much better than what he's been all season long. Again, two of five on passes 20 yards or more down the field. Of course, the 39-yard completion, the strike, beautiful touch. Beautiful catch by Squirrel White down the far sideline. That was a touchdown. That was one of those. Then he completed one to the right as well. Uh, Joe Milton also better in the intermediates. Didn't throw an awful lot in the intermediates, but um, he was better in most regards. He was two of two of six um, for you know a little, around thirty yards. Again, the accuracy wasn't that horrible, and so he was better down the field. And then he was really good. You know, within 10 yards, and then, of course, behind the line of scrimmage. The majority of his throws on Saturday came uh, in the short game, you know, 10 yards or less. He was 10 of 11 in the middle of the field in that regard, 2 of 3 from the left hash and beyond, 3 of 5 from the right hash and beyond. Um, Joe Milton was kept clean on 82.6% of his snap, uh, his, his dropbacks in this football game. When he was under pressure, this is an interest, interesting stat, listen to this. When Joe Milton was under pressure in this football game, um, that was 17% of the time, so it wasn't much. But when he was under pressure, his pro football focus grade was 39.3, which obviously is not good. However, it is important to remember that Joe Milton did throw that six-yard touchdown pass, beating, it was a rub route to McCallan Castles, beating man coverage, and that was right before the half. And so um, he was 39.3% on uh, under pressure snaps, which is just 17% of the time. We all following here. He was just one of four, uh, but he did have a six-yard touchdown pass, so that's important to remember. Uh, Milton was not blitzed 67% of the time. He was blitzed 32% of the time. So really, the only time he was horrible, and it was only on eight dropbacks, was when he was under pressure, but he did throw a touchdown. So I thought that was uh, interesting to kind of kind of throw in there. Uh, Joe Milton, he was on play action. You remember zone reads, RPOs a little bit. That can all construed as play action. Uh, 34% of his dropbacks. 65% was no play action. He threw screens on 19% of his throws and uh, no screens on obviously 80% of his throws. I mentioned that because screens are a big part of Tennessee's offense this year. <laughs> uh, let's go to blocking. This is this is kind of the, the big one that a lot of people care about. Um, Ollie Lane was Tennessee's best offensive lineman, according to the Pro Football Focus stats. Um, his name, like he didn't have, a, he didn't have holding penalties. Um, he wasn't getting beat an awful lot. Like sometimes, if an offensive lineman is having a, a poor game, they just jump off the screen a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Ollie Lane didn't do that. I'll say that. Um, and, and you know the grades reflect that a little bit here. Overall, his blocking grade was a 70, uh, 71 percent. Uh, let's go individual. Let's go. Let's go run blocking here. Um, Ollie Lane had the second highest run blocking grade at left guard at sixty eight percent. Javante Spragans at right guard had the best run blocking grade of all. That was eighty one percent. These are all in thirty three snaps or run blocking reps for Tennessee's offensive lineman. Gerald Mincy was at fifty nine point nine, which isn't great. That was on twenty six reps. Um, Cooper Mays surprisingly was at fifty seven point one percent on. Uh, 33 reps, and John Campbell was at 53.2 on 33 reps. Dane Davis on seven run-blocking reps. He was at 52.7. So um, the guards played really, really well. The center and the tackles in run-blocking did not in this football game against Alabama. Uh, let's go to pass blocking grades real quick. Ollie Lane, the highest pass blocking grade at 83%. Javante Spragans at 78%. Again, the two guards leading the way. Uh, Dane Davis 
Um, he, he played the last 29 snaps in this football game for Gerald Mincy at right tackle. 21 of the, Again, this is the second half when Tennessee's behind. 21 of his reps were pass blocking reps where he excelled in. He did much, much better in pass blocking reps, and that was at 21 reps for Dane Davis, 77% at right tackle. Um, John Campbell, 48 reps, 73% in terms of pass blocking grade, but he did have the big whiff that led to the uh, scoop and score and the the final nail in the coffin, if you will, but that was John Campbell's miss. And then uh, we got Cooper Mays at 65%, Gerald Mincy at 43%, on 27 reps. Reminder: Gerald Mincy is is trying to play through a knee injury here, and uh, obviously that is limit that is greatly greatly limiting his ability to pass protect right now. 43% on 27 reps. So uh, that's kind of the getting in the weeds a little bit on the offense side of the football. Courtesy of Pro Football Focus, we'll look at defense snap counts, pass rushing grades, coverage grades, all that and more. That is coming up next right here on Locked on Vols. So I do want to tell you about our friends and a proud sponsor of the show. That is Jace Medical. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world today, and it's important for you to be prepared. The Jace case is personalized emergency medication kits, medical kit that contains five essential antibiotics that treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. You can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your unique needs. Uh, Jace Medical now offers customizability to your Jace case with dozens of add-on medications. Choose, choose the medication that fit best for you and your family's unique needs. Uh, Jace is continually working to expand their medication offerings. In their most recent efforts, they've added uh, tons of other stuff to the Jace case that will make it better and more you know, important for you. You can buy a gift card today for a family member or a loved one so they can get a Jace case of their own as well. So it's not just you. You're looking out for a family member as well, and Jace Medical is the place to do just that. Go to jacemedical.com. I encourage you to do that. And while you're there, enter the promo code locked on at checkout, and you're going to get a $20 discount. That is a $20 discount on your order. That promo code is locked on at J-A-S-E Medical.com. Dot com, jacemedical.com, and other promo code locked on for a $20 discount. Jacemedical.com. Also, want to say about our friends over at FanDuel, very big, proud sponsor of the show. Always enjoy working with FanDuel. You can snap into the NFL season right now with FanDuel because it is America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers can get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That is $200 in bonus bets win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on all that action. This app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, those totals where you can decide if you want to hit the over, if you want to hit the under, and so much more. Trust me, especially if you're new, I encourage you to do the player props, individual player props for quarters, for halves, for games, receptions, touchdowns, tackles, whatever it is, they've got it at FanDuel Sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on to kick off the NFL season today. FanDuel, it's official partner of the NFL. We'll go back into your Wednesday edition of Locked On Vols. I'm your host, Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys, as always, for being here. We'll get back into the pro football focus notes that matter. And uh, if you're listening, those grading scale, the grading scale goes as follows. Elite, 90 to 99. Very good, 80 to 89. Above average starter, 70 to 79. Average starter, 60 to 69. And below average starter is 50 to 59. If you're less than 50%, that's considered a backup level player. Just like with offense, I'll read some of the highlights of the overall grades 
Um, but I don't put a whole lot of uh, stock into this portion of it. Uh, Joshua Josephs led all defenders for Tennessee with a pro football focus overall grade of 84%. It's really good. His snap count went up as well. I mean, he didn't play an awful lot, but he was in there for 16 snaps, which is more than the six or seven that he's normally getting. So he had a big sack. It was on third down, and um, you know he's starting to come on a little bit, which is good to see. Joshua Josephs, Tennessee's Leo. One of those Leos led the way with an 84%. Aaron Beasley, a linebacker, 58 snaps, 79%, so pretty much 80%, which is considered uh, a very good. Um, James Pierce, 33 snaps, 78%. A lot of you guys were saying, well, James Pierce was on the sideline. James Pierce was on the sideline. I was like, I bet he'll still play over 30 snaps. And lo and behold, James Pierce over here with 33 snaps. Jalen McCullough, 70%. Um, Tamari McDonald, 68%. Kamal Haddon, 66%. On 30 snaps, uh, put that in comparison. Gave Judy Lolly, the other starting quarterback, played 60 snaps, and he was at 64%. So on and so forth. Um, so those are some snap counts that that of note, and some some of those grades of note. Danico Slaughter came in, played 21 snaps, made a really really nice play as the cover corner on that interception for. Jalen McCullough in the end zone. That was after Tennessee failed on fourth down at its own 34. And to come up with a huge play in the end zone there, I mean, that was that was just massive. Danico Slaughter continues to come back and chip away, and he's feeling healthier. He's looking healthier. His play's reflecting that, and his snap count is continuing uh, to get better. Wesley Walker, 63 snaps. Tyler Barron, 40 snaps. Elijah Simmons, 11 snaps. I'm just looking at some of the notables here. Um, Roman Harrison, everybody's talking about, you know, want to bench Roman Harrison, want to bench Roman Harrison. Just like in basketball, look at the defensive line group. Okay, just like in basketball, in my opinion, the starters don't matter. It's those guys that average, you know, 26, 7 minutes or 30 minutes a game. That's what matters. Who's on the court the last five minutes of the game or the last two minutes of the game or whatever the case is? You know, in the game of basketball, that's what matters. And that's how I view the defensive line group. Sure, there are four starters out there. Tyler Barron, Amari Thomas, Bryson Eason, and um, Roman Harrison. Those are your four defensive line starters. 12 guys play. And specifically at Leo, James Pierce plays the most snaps. And I thought it was interesting. Roman Harrison here played 27 snaps. James Pierce played 33 snaps. And Joshua Josephs played 16 snaps. James Pierce is going to get his. Those snap counts, you know, if if, um, if Joshua Josephs is getting more, they're, they're taken away from Roman Harrison. So I think that's important to remember here. Oh, yeah, and Omar Norman Lotz um, coming back from a concussion he suffered a couple weeks ago. 14 snaps, and of course, he had a big sack. Uh, a couple penalties, but a, a big sack in, in that football game. Let's go to run defense. Who was the highest defender against the run? Well, Tamari McDonald, 77%. Joshua Joseph, 73%, which is good because the thing holding back Joshua Joseph, in my opinion, uh, is he needs to continue to take steps against the run. So that was good to see. Uh, Jalen McCullough, 72%. Arian Carter only play, had three reps against the run, 72%. Aaron Beasley, 71%. These are really good grades against the run. And for the most part, Tennessee did a good job against the run. Um, had, a, had a gain of 30 there right out of the halftime break for Chase McClellan. He ended up with like 115 rushing yards. But I thought overall in the day, it was pretty steady for Tennessee. Um, and the run, the run grades reflect that. Let's look at pass rush, okay? And then we'll go, we'll end on coverage. All right, pass rush. Let's see here. James Pierce had one sack. He had no hurries outside of that. Um, let's see here. 
Yeah. So James Pierce did have a sack, but a relatively quiet day in comparison to what he was against Texas A&M, if that makes sense. Um, now Tennessee overall didn't have as many quarterback hits as quarter, as many as quarterback hurries as they did against A&M, but yeah, Joshua Joseph that had a sack that was on third down. Gave Judy Lolly a corner blitz on third. See what I love about this: a lot of these sacks are coming on third downs. Love to see it. Gave Judy Lolly a sack on third down. James Pierce a strip sack on third down, and Omar Norman Lotz um, also had a sack as well. Uh, let's go look at the uh, coverage grades, and this is what we're all like really interested in seeing, shall we? Uh, defensive backs: how many times they were targeted? How many times the ball was thrown their way? How many receptions they gave up? And, of course, what that grade is. Uh, I thought Jalen Milrow obviously had a strong second half. thought he got stronger as the game went on. And I think you know, on the season he's getting stronger and stronger, which is good for Alabama. Not so good for uh, the rest of college football and SEC fans. Uh, Gabe Judy Lawley was targeted twice. He gave up one reception for 17 yards. Um, Aaron Beasley targeted once, gave up one reception for three yards. Or for zero yards, excuse me. Let's see here. Danico Slaughter was targeted four times, gave up three receptions for 37 yards and one touchdown. Of course, he was responsible for the interception to Jalen McCullough, as I mentioned earlier. He got a hand on it, kept it, you know, kind of tipped it back there to him. Really nice play. Uh, but Danico Slaughter was targeted four times, gave up three receptions for 37 yards and a touchdown. Tamari McDonald, he was targeted four times, gave up three receptions for 60 yards. That was his play. Uh, was it Isaiah Bond or Burton? Whoever had the big long reception on the um, the second play, uh, the, the, the touchdown, right? I mean, that's McDonald's guy, but he had no safety help. And it looked like McDonald kind of tripped, but 60 yards given up, one touchdown, targeted four times, gave up three receptions. Uh, let's see here. Aaron Carter targeted once, gave up one reception for 11 yards. Caleb Perry targeted once, gave up one reception for 22 yards. And then Elijah Herring targeted five times, gave up four receptions for 73 yards in this football game with some of those crossing things over the middle. So again, um, I like to look at the pro football focus notes because I think these notes that I read off are what matters and kind of give you a feel for who's covering well, who's getting back to the quarterback well. Um, who's blocking well, who's a better run blocker, who's a better pass blocker. hope you guys enjoy it. Um, I know it's a lot of numbers at you, but if you really listen and um, you kind of make a habit of listening on these Wednesday shows, you really do have a better idea kind of going into the next game. Like, oh, yeah, this guy's a really good stud Leo, good stud outside linebacker. Well, um, that's not good because Gerald Mincy's not been good as a pass blocker here lately with that knee injury. You know, Tennessee might need to do a six-man protecting over there with a tight end or a running back, just kind of stuff like that. You know, maybe you want to nerd out. I nerd out a lot of times, but <laughs> that's just kind of what I do. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Pro Football Focus, we do it every single Wednesday. Tomorrow, we're going to look at Kentucky. What makes Kentucky tick? We'll get a we'll get a, a special guest on as well, breaking down the Wildcats of Kentucky. That's what you have to look forward to tomorrow. But coming up next here on Lockdown Balls, we're going to take a look, or we're going to take a listen to uh, uh, Josh Ward of Ward Wednesday, as we do every single Wednesday right here on Lockdown Balls. Passion, drive, patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, 
eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money is back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber and not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into an MVP and bring home that W. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. That is ebaymotors.com. One more time, it's ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles, including the number one selling compact tractor in the USA. And now through June 30, get 0% APR for 84 months or up to $3,300 off select compact tractors. See the details at KubotaOrangedays.com. Your family, your land, and your livestock deserve equipment they can count on. So find your local dealer today. That's KubotaOrangedays.com. Just as we do every single Wednesday here on Locked On Balls, we welcome, we welcome on our guy Josh Ward of 99.1 The Sports Animal for what we call Ward Wednesday. Josh, Tennessee, a great start. Tennessee, a horrible, horrible finish a frustrating day in Tuscaloosa last weekend. Yeah, it was. The first half showed the potential of Tennessee's football team, and hitting your potential all the time is going to be difficult. I think that's proven true to this point for Tennessee. But to then come back to earth and splat the way Tennessee did in the second half is, um, you know, it's kind of concerning with what happens next. It It brings up the fears that I think fans had a few weeks ago because there are a number of games that really matter this week really matters for Tennessee so how Tennessee responds how much closer Tennessee can get back to being that first half team and maintaining that level of play is going to determine where the rest of this season goes so in your estimation just sitting there watching it reviewing it the first couple of days of this week what happened to Tennessee what happened that was a completely different ball club in the second half compared to the first half well Elijah Herring's postgame comment about thinking they had won the game makes a lot of sense and Alabama looked like a team that came out of the half saying we're not going to let Tennessee win the game and the first half Tennessee that we saw that appeared maybe more aggressive wanting to be more physical that didn't show in the second half and Alabama corrected some things um, they made some plays and I know officiating is a part of the conversation to me the conversation has to be about the way Alabama played and how Tennessee couldn't find any kind of response. Offensively, Tennessee couldn't do anything. Uh, I think some decisions by Josh Heupel put the defense in a tough spot where it already had so much on its shoulders and back that it had to carry in the second half, and it became too much, and it broke. You know, allow me to talk about it again after you know. Before I say, I've talked more about officiating the first part of this week than I care to. I'm about sick of it. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and I just want to get your thoughts on this. I'll talk, and then you just kind of kind of bounce off me here. Officiating was horrible. Officiating's been so bad all year long. I mean, it is what it is. Um, it, it's it's really not been good. There were several calls in this football game that did not go Tennessee's way, or you know, were no calls that should have gone Tennessee's way. Uh, they could have played a, a factor in the flow, and and you know, eventually it might have could, uh, could have changed the outcome potentially. You know, Tennessee mm-hmm. still got to go out and execute off that. That's what that's what I've been saying all week long. Like just because Tennessee gets a call or doesn't get a call, you still got to go and execute. So there's no way of telling if that call or that call would result in the touchdown, whatever the case may be. Um, 
but at the end of the day, like, like I'm, I'm the type of guy that's not going to go go cry ref. Like I understand the ref, refereeing was awful in that game, but as you pointed out just a moment ago, I mean, it's as simple as this: you didn't score a point in the second half. Not a point. Not not a single freaking point. And yeah, the fair catch thing was bogus. Tyler Barron was choke slammed. Squirrel White was tackled. I mean, we can go on and on and on. Um, there were some missed calls from Tennessee side too on Alabama. I just, I mean, yes, the officiating was horrible, but I mean, I'm going to sit here and stay in here and say that that's obviously not the reason Tennessee lost the game. Tennessee didn't score a single point in the second half. Yeah, because I already had some texts complaining about the officiating at halftime because Alabama went into the half without having a penalty called on them and Tennessee was up by 13. So. No. I know that a lot of the calls we're talking about are in the second half, but I already had first half complaints that were my, coming my way. But Tennessee had a lead at the time. At the time, uh, I just I don't expect good officiating, okay, in a <laughs> in a general sense. Uh, and the game was not rigged for Alabama. Uh, I get the frustration. I have I have those texts as well. And by the way, for texting that in a group chat with friends. I understand. I get it. But that's not really what's happening. I just think it's Literally bad. texting I, a buddy, I, though. So, I mean, that, that's a good thing, texting a buddy. That's the advice that's been given. But <laughs> for Tennessee, ten, like, that's perfectly fine for fans to uh, share those complaints among each other. I mean, at this point, if you're still doing it on social media, I think it kind of looks weak a few days beyond that. But Tennessee can't be thinking that. The players can't think we got job by the officials. The players have to think we have to get better from what happened in the second half. We have to make that a lesson because if we go in with the wrong attitude at Kentucky, while the Wildcats are not as good as Alabama, they're going to be ready at home. That has to be the mindset. Same goes for Missouri on the road. Of course, for Georgia, with that game being in Knoxville, doesn't matter where that game is. You're playing one of the most talented teams in the country. So the players have to look at it like we lost the game. We made mistakes in the second half. And that's why we lost. Players can never uh, allow the officiating to affect them too much because they have to know that calls will go against them a lot of the time. And and again, frustrations. That's one hundred percent. I mean, I'm never going to tell somebody how to fan. I mean, that's not my place. No, no, but, no. Um, I get it. Like I'm. Yeah. Uh, I I I would say it's probably not healthy at this point to continue to go well, on I social that, media. Yeah. Like I, I'm talking not necessarily from a how to fan, just how to how to be a. a healthy person that's my <laughs> suggestion there but uh during the game you're texting friends you're frustrated let it out i get it so yeah. i don't i'm not pushing back on that at all but you know now th three to four to five days beyond the game i'd say it's it's time to move on yeah and uh again this is more of an off-season conversation but i mean as far as officiating nothing's going to change would love to see some accountability you know, yeah, I it's, ride, it's I everywhere. Speak. Like the last two weekends in the NFL, this is the NFL, which is making billions of dollars. They have had major headlines about horrible officiating mistakes. And by the way, part of my personal theory is that we just see the mistakes so, so easily. They're shared so often that it amplifies the mistakes. I think that's the case yeah. in all sports, football getting the most attention. That's not to excuse the mistakes. Like uh, the, on both sides, again, missed calls on Tennessee and Alabama, I can see the official in the shot, and I want to know what is the official looking at 
to make a call or not make a call. So I'm still confused, but I think how it's so easily seen and shared and replayed affects this conversation too. <laughs> Real quick, qu- quick little sidebar here. You know, in the post-game press conference, when a uh, question was asked to, to Josh Heupel about officiating, you paused for like 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. I had a buddy of mine that made some type of like little video or whatever and had it on top, you know, hypo. And then during the pauses had all the calls that Tennessee is holding Alabama, you know, Aaron, or uh, not Aaron Carter, Elijah Herring punching that guy in the back of the helmet. The stuff that wasn't called on Tennessee side, I had a buddy that put that together, sent it to me, thought it was hilarious. Complete sidebar. But uh, it, again, wrapping up the conversation Guessing on, on a fish. And Tennessee fans probably aren't going to want to see that would be my, <laughs> would be my guess. Um, but wrapping up the conversation, like in terms of accountability and everything, it'd be great to see that, you know, we write, we talk about coaches and players, Mm -hmm. um, you know, officials to that same thing, but it's not going to happen next week. We can't go ask Greg Sankey questions tomorrow. Uh, Brent Hubbs said this the other day about Monday's press conference for Josh Heupel. I mean, we're still asking about the fair catch and I mean, we're asking the head coach, but the head coach shouldn't have to explain that, you know, it should be the head of officials or whatever, but anyway, uh, yeah, I would love to, I would love to see more accountability and and uh, transparency, but that I'm not the first person to say that. I'm not the last person that will say it either without anything changing. Joe Milton, strong mm-hmm. first half. He and along with the rest of his teammates didn't do much in the second half, but uh, you get that Joe Milton, you're going to win some football games. Yeah, uh, and I continue to think him running the football is an obvious need in this offense, and I think probably gives him confidence in what he's able to do because he's he's having success. Running the football is not throwing the ball, but it is good for the offense when they're moving forward. They can uh, take advantage of uh, the positive yardage to create the tempo that they want in the offense. And positive plays with Joe Milton making them can help as well. Now, he needs to build on those. And uh, we can't expect perfect Joe throwing the football. If it happens, great. But uh, he, he's not going to be that in terms of his accuracy. There are some throws that he'd like to get back in the second half uh, for sure, we didn't see that, and he held on to the football too long, probably. And the uh, John Campbell got beat. Uh, Braswell's an NFL guy, I think, probably right. So uh, you, you tip your cap to him, but that pretty much put the game away. So you know, any, any preseason thought of hey, Joe's an All SEC quarterback, or he can be a Heisman contender? That's that's in the past. That's not a, a realistic part of the conversation. But what we saw in the first half is a reminder that Joe still has better upside than I think some people wanted to recognize over the last few weeks. So if he can be closer to that more consistently, the offense should be able to find more success. And they do need more success. They only scored 20 points in the end. They needed more than that. So they need to be better in the red zone. Uh, receivers still continue to need to help Joe in the passing game. So it is. it has been and it will continue to be a collective effort. But that performance from Joe is good enough to win games against lesser talented teams than what the Vols faced on Saturday. Last thing out the door, Tennessee-Kentucky. I feel like, um, without getting too far in the weeds here, I feel like Tennessee matches up really well with Kentucky. Tennessee has lost four of the last five true road games, so going on the road, um, it's going to be obviously, a, in, in that respect, Tennessee has not had things kind of go in their way here of late, but uh, I think Tennessee matches up really well with Kentucky. They have an all-SEC, all-American type running back, a quarterback that is underwhelming, a defense has got some players, um, an offensive line that's much improved, but... Um, after a hot start, they played some competition and uh, have not had the best of times here lately, but had a bye week to get ready for Tennessee. It'll mm-hmm. be a close, hard-fought football game, as it always is in Lexington. But I think Tennessee matches up well with Kentucky. 
Yeah, I think so too. Uh, where I was right heading into the season on Kentucky is that Ray Davis would be a really nice get for them in the transfer portal, transferring in from Vanderbilt. I thought that's that's really good for their offense. Where I was wrong, though, was the quarterback that came in. I thought Devin Leary would be one of the best players at his position Me in too. the conference, and he has not been. He is actually a big reason why quarterback play looks down in the conference because mm-hmm. Leary's a guy we talked about, and it just hasn't worked out to this point. Now, uh, when we talk about fans and fear that can come in, Here's an example. Okay, well, here's his breakout game. You know, I, I know fans have seen it before, and that that can Spencer be the Rattler. Thing. Yeah, because there's talent at the receiver position too. So let's see. Uh, let's see how their offensive line holds up. The keys to me are pretty obvious. Don't allow Ray Davis to beat you. Pressure Devin Leary and force him into um, missing throws and not getting going offensively. And if that happens, I think Tennessee can be too much. Uh, This is a big test for Kentucky. Two weeks to get ready for this after getting destroyed by Georgia and losing by 17, really disappointing showing against Missouri. This is is probably it from Kentucky's perspective of, hey, if we're going to turn the season into anything, we need to win this week as opposed to having a three-game losing streak. And then obviously for Tennessee, got to get this one. And if Tennessee does, the Vols are still in a really good position to – you know, try to get to nine and three. Ten and two is on the table, but it's a, a big ask, obviously. But nine and three is a huge ask if Tennessee can't win this week. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're Kentucky and like this is kind of it, if you want to have a season worth remembering or a season that you want to feel good about, I mean, really, same for Tennessee. You lose this game, and uh, that's, you know, I mean, that, that's that's not that's your third loss in SEC play and the loss on the mm-hmm. road. You lose this game. What do you look like in Como? Of course, you got Georgia coming up. So, again, not, yeah, it's and, not and over, but like Tennessee, you want to win this I, game. I, Kentucky's program's in better shape. And if Tennessee loses, they're losing to a quality team. But Tennessee doesn't lose to Kentucky. That's yeah. that's the mindset of Tennessee, and they need to make sure that's the case this week. The Josh and Swain newsletter every Friday morning about 8.30. You can get that link in the show notes for this episode. But you got that. Uh, you got a couple more shows this week. Josh and Swain, noon to 3 on 99.1 The Sports Animal. What do, you, what do we have to look forward to with uh, for Josh and Swain? Yeah, the free newsletter on Fridays is changing lives, so I appreciate you telling people about that. And, uh, yeah, it's it's move it forward time at this point. So uh, the Alabama game was very frustrating, but like you were talking about Kentucky, what Tennessee needs to do, the matchups, and needing to avoid the loss. If the Vols went on the road this week, they're still in really good shape. Josh Ward, you can follow him on Twitter at Josh underscore Ward. Josh, as always, man, appreciate you. Thank you, Eric. All right, and that is going to do it here for this edition of Locked On Balls. Wednesday edition, pro football focus, offensive notes, defensive notes, and Josh Ward. It's a real nerd type uh, uh, type show, so it's only fitting that we end it with Josh Ward every Wednesday, putting our pocket protectors and our glasses on, uh, getting into the weeds and the stats, if you will, of pro football focus. Guys, appreciate you for being here. We'll come back tomorrow and uh, have, another, uh, have a look ahead to Kentucky. Big week coming up, Tennessee at Kentucky, and uh, we'll break down that game, preview that game from every single angle right here on Locked On Balls. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.